Hello everyone and we just want to um, welcome each one of you again as you join with Kate and myself and we trust that you will be encouraged as you meet around God's word and you hear God's word. We just want to let you know that we do thank the Lord for each one of you that come on with us each week and we thank the Lord for our family, our friends, for all our children and grandchildren and for those who are serving the Lord throughout this world. We just appreciate one, each one and we pray that each week that you will be encouraged and that you'll grow a little bit more um, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Hi everyone, it's uh, really nice to be back with you again and um, I want to just tell you we're going to start a little new uh, a new little series this week and um, it's going to be in the book of Jonah so if you have a Bible with you. I'd encourage you to open the Bible at the book of Jonah. We're going to look there um, over the next five or six weeks and we'll learn hopefully good things about ourselves, good things about God, good things about uh, the prophet, good things about sharing God's truth and how God is sovereign and has an amazing plan by which his message, his truth will, will reach people. <clears throat> the, the series is going to be titled Lessons from a Wayward Prophet. Uh, Jonah didn't go God's way always but God was right there somehow steering it and controlling the whole thing. So, so this is a book that, as we read it, should impact the life and should impact the lifestyle of each and every believer in God. It's a writing packed with confrontational challenges that relate quite obviously to the, the world that we live in today. So for example, as the reader, you're, you and I are going to be confronted by the prophet's deep-seated nationalism, viewing himself and his people, Israel, to be above and to be better than any other race of people. And Jonah also appears to have a, a definite lack of care for a, or love, if you want, for a city of spiritually lost people called Nineveh, whom God is sending him to. And he doesn't seem to have that God-type love for these people, but he's, he's sent to them. Um, we, we're going to see disobedience of the prophet of God, having been called to serve on mission for God. What an amazing privilege. What an honor that God chooses him and says, I want you to serve in this way, but, but he's disobedient to that. And I think sadly and tragically, we individuals and the church today can be disobedient to that mission given to us by God. Uh, the book offers the reader a mirror type image of our own struggle to obey and to trust in the plan of God for our lives. So like Jonah, I think we're right there and we're going to struggle, but we're going to see that mirror type image coming to us. To most of his readers, Jonah is probably best remembered for what seems to be a, a somewhat controversial claim as to his being swallowed by a great fish, or probably as most of us consider that a view that we would refer to as being a whale, if you want, that swallowed him. And this can lead many readers of the book of Jonah to consider it to be either allegorical or parabolic, as, as opposed to being a literal account of the happening as planned and intended by God. So I want to encourage us to, to look, at us, look at it in that literal sense. Um, it might help us to realize that the, the fish, for example, is mentioned only in two verses in the text, and there's no descriptive details offered about what happens surrounding that, if you want. It's just mentioned, matter of fact, and there it is. Now, if, if we struggle to believe the miraculous account of the prophet of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, we need to back up and say, wait a minute, we, we believe in a God who is eternal, who always was, 
He always is. He always will be. And that he's actually the creator of all things and the controller of all things. And that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die in the place of sinful man, hang on a cross, have his blood shed so that we might be redeemed. And then when Jesus died, after three days, God raised him, resurrected him back to life. Um, and he uh, appeared to a good number of people saying, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. And so we believe that and now he's resurrected to be with the Father. That's much more, I think, much more miraculous than Jonah, the prophet, claiming he was swallowed by a great fish. So because of that, I really want to encourage you to take this book literally. Look at it literally, read it literally, and let's learn some real truths from it. And as we do this, we need to be prepared. We need to be confronted by the bias of God's prophet to, um, to, to people who have a different ethnicity and a different religion to himself, a different culture to himself. And he seems to have this bias. I don't like you. I don't want to tell you this. I don't want to share with you. I don't want good things to come from God to you. Um, so in all of that, we're going to be confronted along the way as we walk and as we journey for God here. This book will express God's love for other societies around this globe today, throughout history, um, aside from God's own people, the nation Israel. So this book will clearly express God's disdain for the way in which other ethnicities are perhaps treated sometimes by the people whom God has redeemed with the precious blood of his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The book is going to expose the pride, the arrogance, the idolatry within the heart of God's own servant Jonah, and perhaps what we struggle with as well in there. So as we journey through the book, I want you to be bold enough. I want you to be brave enough to, to take this step. And on occasion, as you choose, as you journey through this, so on the occasion that you choose to replace Jonah's name with your name, to recognize that's my personality right there. That's me right there. Even though it's Jonah, put yourself right in there and say, that's exactly how I think. That's exactly what I would have done. And perhaps we'll see that we have a lot in common with Jonah. And I suggest this because I think we do have a lot in common with Jonah. And unlike the prophet, we can make lots of excuses, and we're good at this, for thinking like we do. Uh, we, we make reasons, good reasons, as to why I think the way I think, which may not always be God's way, which may not always be the truth of the Bible in our lives. So, for example, our God will punish bad people. He'll punish them for doing bad things. People like the Ninevites who are an evil people. God will punish them because of the bad things they do, we think. Our God will bless the good people. People like Jonah, who even though, they even though he struggled and he got it wrong, he was a follower of God. He was called by God. So there's a blessing in there somewhere for him. So in our thinking, God will bless us because we're the good people. Like Jonah, we believe in the Bible. We believe in God. We believe in his truth. So therefore, we're the good people like Jonah. Well, let's be prepared then to be confronted a little with the, the entire issue, the great issue of forgiveness. And what is it like to forgive others? Because after all, it was the Ninevite people who were about to be forgiven by God at his choosing. And the one he was choosing to bring the message to them was his servant, the prophet Jonah. So in this story, we're going to see the unworthy, ungodly Ninevites receiving God's forgiveness of their sin from an unworthy, ungodly, but come godly prophet of Yahweh. So let's begin by reading chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 of our text. Here's what we read right there. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, 
the son of Amittai. Isn't that an amazing thing? The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me, says God. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A very serious thing to do. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now notice that all-important statement, that all-important claim at the very opening of our text. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. See, every time we read of God using one of his prophets to speak to his people, Israel, we read of the word of the Lord coming to them. God gives his word to them. He gives his message to them. He says, this is what I want you to declare. Be confident in that. Uh, but on this occasion, however, God's message to his prophet, it's very different. He's not sending his prophet with his message to his own nation, his own people, Israel. Instead, the prophet, this time, is to take God's message to a Gentile people, a non-Jewish people, a non-Israelite people, an unbelieving people in Yahweh. So we read in verse 2 that this prophet, Jonah, the son of Amittai, is to go to Nineveh, that great city, and he's to cry out against it. Now, Jonah's name is Hebrew for dove, which, while his father's name, Amittai, is Hebrew for truth or truthful or loyal, if you want. So this is the story of God's dove taking the message of God's truth to people who weren't expecting it, weren't anticipating it, or, or even thinking about it. Instead, they were people completely ignorant of such an important and life-changing message. They had no interest, no desire, nothing for that message but the message was going to come to them. Jonah is going to warn Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, that unless they repent and turn to the only true God, Yahweh, then he will unleash his wrath upon them. If they refuse to turn to the only true God, being Yahweh, then Yahweh will unleash his wrath upon them. The Assyrian Empire was one of the most violent empires of its time. Tim Keller writes this about, he says, the Emperor Shalmaneser III, Emperor, the Emperor Shalmaneser III, is well known for depicting torture, dismembering, and decapitations of enemies in grisly detail on, a, on large stone relief panels where they kept it. Assyrian history is as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so that they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones on elevated poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so they could be fled alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned adolescents alive. Those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians have been called a terrorist state. And we're very familiar with that today. But that's who they were. That's how they functioned. That's what they did. That's their history. And so to those people, Jonah has got to take God's message. Well, to help us a little, Assyria is literally modern day northern Iraq. So this is like God saying to you, I want you to leave Brisbane or your home, wherever it is, and take my message to the people of northern Iraq. I suspect you might be a little bit like Jonah. That's not really going to work too well, Lord. I've got another idea. 
Let's not go there and let's not tell them anything. Let's just live and praise you here. That's a better idea. You see, Jonah had watched this Assyrian empire threaten the Jewish northern kingdom that Jonah lived in under the leadership of the tyrannical King Jehu. So Jonah is reluctant. But God, God had ordained for this people to hear and to understand his message. And his plan was to use Jonah as his messenger. Now, now remember, the Assyrians were the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God's people. So why would God want to have them receive his message? Well, God wants his message to invade northern Iraq and other Middle East locations back then in history and today because he is still willing to redeem unto himself people just like the Ninevites. Now, now let's appreciate that God isn't giving Jonah a message of encouragement here. There's no message of encouragement for the inhabitants of Nineveh. Quite the opposite. Jonah is to cry out. He's to speak against Nineveh for the wickedness for which they are involved in. So God wants to send his prophet Jonah to a people whom Jonah detests, loathes, and hates. Now, let me ask you if you've ever been like Jonah. Jump in here. God asks you to do something for him. And you make all sorts of supposed logical excuses as to why you can't do it. I, I couldn't eat their food. That wouldn't agree with me. I could never learn their language. That's much too difficult. I, I'm willing to give finance, however, and send others. They can go and do it. I think Jonah was a little more honest than all of that. He just did the exact opposite of what God wanted him to do. He's just downright rebellious. He just takes off in the opposite direction. Jonah just does his own thing. He says, I'm going this way. I'm not going that way. Now, remember, this is God's prophet. This is a believer. This is a follower of Yahweh. So we get the impression that Jonah didn't like what God was asking him to do. To Jonah, what God was asking him to do made no sense and he didn't want to do it. Imagine if Jesus had reacted the same way, that he saw absolutely no sense in his going to the cross to suffer for you, whom he knew would live some form of shallow Christian life. In fact, the majority of people wouldn't even be aware that you're a believer. But Jesus considered you to be more worth than anything else in the whole world, in the whole universe. So he gave up his life to redeem, to save you, even with those issues. Imaginary as that is, I think Jonah embraced that sort of thinking. Those Nineveh, these Ninevites are just no good. They'll never hear his truth. They'll never follow Yahweh's ways. They'll never live for his glory. Only we Israelites can do that. We're the people called by God. So therefore, let's keep the truth here. You see, Jonah just didn't just have a problem with what God asked him to do. Jonah had a problem with God. Jonah didn't really want God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy to, to touch the Ninevites. Instead, he was at ease for them to be the recipients of God's wrath. That was much more suitable and appropriate for them in Jonah's thinking. In brief, Jonah had no compassion for these people who, to whom God was sending him to tell this amazing message of opportunity. Who is it that you really don't mind if God doesn't touch with his grace? Is it a, a people belonging to a particular religion, perhaps? We, we, we think to ourselves, just let them go. They don't deserve the truth. Is it a, a people living, living out publicly a certain lifestyle? Just let them go. They deserve God's wrath to fall upon them. 
Is it a people or a person or persons who have hurt you terribly in the past? And just, just let them go. I, I don't want to know anything more about them. God will deal with them. and I know he'll be hard on them. Whatever, whoever it was for Jonah, he was on the run from God. Jonah lacked compassion for the people of the world who God wanted to share his own blessings with. God, the creator, says, I want to share my blessings with these people. You're the, the catalyst, Jonah. You're the one who's going to take that message to them. But Jonah didn't want to do that. Isn't it crazy that God's prophets lacked in compassion? Can you imagine someone being called by God, and yet they lack in compassion for the people that they've got to tell the message to? But that was Jonah. After all, he has been forgiven. Surely, surely he should forgive. Surely he should be willing to forgive others. Whenever God's people do not want the ways of God to direct their lives, I want you to notice what happens. Look at verse 3 of our text. <clears throat> but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. See, God called Jonah to go east to Nineveh. So Jonah went west to Tarshish, which is believed to have been a very wealthy city in, the, in Spain. However, the worst part, the more serious part of his actions is that that of fleeing or attempting to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want you to walk right into Jonah's world with me and ask yourself the very same question that was haunting the prophet Jonah. Am I completely confident that I'm living life in the presence of the Lord? Jonah's busily working to convince himself Somehow I'm okay with God here. Somehow I'm still okay with God. This is going to be, this is what God really wants. Am I where God wants me to be? Ask yourself that. With my life, am I doing what God wants me to do? And I'm hearing questions such as these in his mind. Jonah made a decision. And his decision was this. And I think we can go here too. And it's really awkward. I don't care what God wants me to do. I don't want to do that. Like Jonah, God has a work for every one of his redeemed to do. We believe that as part of a mandate of being a Christian. So simplified, my question becomes as this. As someone redeemed by God from the slave market of sin, are you currently, this moment in time, doing the work for which God has redeemed you? It's a very heavy, serious question. One that we don't like to ask ourselves as believers. So I'm asking you to jump into these shoes and really ask yourself that question. Uh, am I currently doing the work for which God has redeemed me? It's suggested that there are five levels of learning. And I think Jonah and ourselves have been equipped with all five skills. Here's what they are. Number one, knowledge. And then we get perspective or wisdom, if you want. We've got conviction. We get character. And we get skill. The first, these first two skills are uh, to do with what we know, what knowledge we have. And the second two skills are to do with what we with who we are, our person. So with knowledge, then we have our, our lifestyle, our person, our being, our character. And the third, if you want, is to do is what we do using the other skills involved skills we got to hold in that one. So number one, knowledge. We all have knowledge, all of different levels and standards and knowledge of various activities with which we're involved in. Some may be scientifically or chemically driven in their interests. Others may be personable and have great knowledge as to how to best encourage and edify people and work with people and just get excited with that. With that, I think you can probably understand 
some of what I'm trying to say. But we all, however, as redeemed followers of Jesus Christ, have a united interest and a united desire to be knowledgeable as to the teachings and claims of the Bible. We, that's why you're watching this. That's why you're listening. That's why you read your Bible and listen to other people too. You want to know what this book is actually teaching and saying. And in that, I suggest that we have a, a common interest with Jonah. As a prophet of God, he would have he would have to have a clear knowledge of the Torah, the, the law, if you want, and any other Old Testament writings available to him. He would have understood those as God's prophet. He had some understanding of that. So he was a man with the knowledge of God, and he had that knowledge as to who God was, what God wanted, and he was to relay that knowledge to others. He had this knowledge. Wisdom, number two. But we all have varying degrees of wisdom, and it's not right or wrong to have as much or whatever. That's a good thing to have. I'm referring here to the wisdom of seeing life and living life from God's perspective. So when we look at life, we view it, and we live it as God wants. That's what real wisdom is going to take us to. That is living a life that glorifies God, that's actually all about God and brings honor and glory to him. We read a a well-known statement, Isaiah 55, verse 8, but I, I want to read it to you from the message translation. Here God says, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. So God immediately tells us, I think differently from you. I work, I function differently from you, but I want you to function like me. I want you to come to this place with me in in, in your understanding, in your uh, wisdom lifestyle. I want to suggest this may be where both we and Jonah Uh, ourselves if you want, can come a little unstuck. Following God is about following his way, God's way. So it's saying, Lord, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to do that. I'm convinced that's what you want. Jonah had begun to choose not to view life from God's perspective, and therefore he was taking initial steps to embark upon another path. He was beginning to wander in another direction. Conviction. Because of our knowing God in Christ and having access to his truth, the Bible, and being indwelt by his Holy Spirit to convict us to live God's way, we're people who can bring glory to him by our our manner of living. How we live, we can glorify God in that because the Spirit of God lives in us and says, this is the way to live according to the word of God, so live it, live it. Uh, John Piper writes this to us by way of help. What is God's perspective on temptation, he asks? What is God's perspective on evil? What is God's perspective on our past, our present, and our future? What is God's perspective on sin? Notice it's all about God here. What is God's perspective on Satan? Once we start getting perspective, we begin developing conviction, says Piper. Then he writes, conviction is not opinion. Opinion is something you argue about. Conviction is something you die for. Jonah, I think, had lost his conviction. And as a prophet whose duty it was to speak publicly for God, Jonah had set aside his convictions, or better, set aside God's convictions as to mankind. He wasn't living that way anymore. It then becomes essential for us to maintain God's convictions for this world and the day in which we live. This is what we're called to do today. Bring out God's convictions and declare them to his world. We need to take our biblical knowledge and then layer God's wisdom for our lives on top of that. And then we place our convictions into that mix. So letting the word of God 
provide the wisdom that we need to deepen in us the convictions God has for those professing to know him today. So get the word of God open. Let the spirit of God speak through the word and position those convictions in your life today and live according to the convictions that you believe are Bible-based and are stirred in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Character number four. All of this so far builds the character by which God will be glorified. We're, we're putting layers on here, we're building. Um, Piper writes this, you develop character by developing the habits of love and joy and peace and patience. He refers to the nine qualities from Galatians 5, good, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control mixed in with the previous ones. What are these? Well, what, are, what are these fruit of the Spirit, he asks? They are a perfect picture of the character of Christ. If we want to become like Jesus, then we must seek the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I hope you want that. The goal is to become more like God in our character, not to become gods, not our own little gods. We will never become God that is the one true God, no matter how much fruit we produce. We will never be, we will never be many gods. We're, we're not God. That's the oldest line in the book that we will be like God from Genesis 3, verse 5. We need to learn character, says Piper. We've got to have this character in us. Uh, Jonah had let his character go the wrong way. So he had to flee from the presence of the Lord. He had to escape that so that he can live his own life, do his own thing, and attempt to convince himself, I'm doing this for God. Don't let your character go there, because the journey back will be tough. It'll be long. It'll be hard. Uh, as we're going to learn from the life of this prophet, it doesn't make it easy at all. Now, number five, the very last one, we're almost through, is skill. I want you to listen to this. This is so important. When we get these things right in our lives, we begin to develop, develop the, the, the skills of praying. What a skill that is. Of witnessing, telling others about Jesus. Of reading our Bibles enjoyably and saying, this is God's word to me. This is incredible. Of the skill of loving those around us who need to hear about our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, an amazing little text. I love this text. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. See, you can take that blunt axe and you can beat the wood forever. It's never going to cut it. But the skill of sharpening that will change everything. Notice that it is skill that brings success. Not your commitment to a task or ministry. It's not you doing this. Not your wisdom as to what you might consider best. This is the best, I think. Not that at all. Not your praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. The successful farmer, for example, knows how to sow the seeds. He knows the time of year to sow the seeds. He watches the weather patterns. He has the skills to be successful, and he uses them. And as Jonah walked up the gangplank onto the, the, the ship to take him to Tarshish, he left his skills on the wharf. He said, I'm done. The skill Jonah needed, the skill we so desperately need, is to have the presence of the Lord in our lives. I want you to make sure you've got the presence of the Lord in your life and that you're living for him. That's the skill. In Christ, God has redeemed you for his glory. So don't be like Jonah and run, 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 run from what he's asking you to do. Instead, run to what he wants you to do. For there, you will find his presence always to be with you. It might not be easy. It may be incredibly difficult. It may cost a lot, but the presence of God, the presence of the Lord with you, 
That's so important. And that's the skill that we need to hone and to have. Let me pray for you. Lord, for everyone listening, I pray that each one of us will learn from this, learn from the character of Jonah, that we will hone that skill of walking with you, of following you, of submitting to your way. And then we'll say, Lord, may your presence always be with me. May I always know I'm right in the center of where you want me to be, doing what you want me to do. Lord, will you minister to the, your people watching this, listening to it? May you minister to them. May you confront them through your spirit, challenge them and stir them and move them and motivate them to really have this skill and to be certain of your presence in their character, in their life, in their being. Oh, Lord, we long for that. Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you and is watching this for whatever reason, may you be gracious like you will be to these Ninevite people, and may you draw them to yourself in saving grace. Lord, we need you more than ever. Help us, we pray this day, to become faithful followers of the risen God, of the almighty God, his risen Son, the Lord Jesus, who will walk with him and follow him, and will say, yes, Lord, your presence is always with me as I walk your path through this life. Be glorified as we, your people, do this. And we ask all of this in and through our wonderful Savior's amazing, eternal, and holy name. Be glorified, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, folks. And uh, trust that you'll have an amazing, great week. And you put some of this into practice. And uh, we'll discover more next week. Have a great week and be blessed as you live for him.